At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray and we pray for our president and our governor and all those in public office, Lord. You tell us to pray for them, and so it's our desire to pray. Father, grant them wisdom. Lord, surround them with great counsel, godly counsel. Father, protect their families and their personal lives. They carry a heavy burden, Lord. Father, let them act contrary to selfish ambition and for the good of our nation and state. And Father, I pray for us that our faith in Jesus Christ would grow abundantly and our love for one another would always increase. So help us, God, now as we give ourselves to the study of your word and spirit of God come and be our teacher and transform us right here in our seats. Give us a glimpse of glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. The word of the Lord. So today we begin our new series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. We're going to be studying the first two chapters of Peter's first letter, and I trust that God will use the study of his word to accomplish a number of his purposes. Now, one of my goals through this series is to help you think politically. 
And in the process, I might manage to get all of you to not like me. Now, that's not my goal. That just might be an unintended consequence. But here's why I say that. People can feel very strongly about their political opinions, candidates, parties, policies. And I'm all for that to a degree. Now, let me make crystal clear that I will not be advocating for or denouncing any specific candidate or party. What I am after is that your Christian identity inform all of your thinking out about American and world politics. And I'll begin by saying that the gospel, the gospel is utterly political. But it's not political in the way you might think. See, some people have been taught to over-spiritualize their faith. Meaning that they see the Bible as speaking to their souls and speaking about salvation of their souls, but not really addressing life in the here and now, specifically as it relates to what we call our public life. So that's what many people have been taught to believe. Others have been taught to politically weaponize their faith, meaning that they see the church as an outpost of their political party. So the church is a city on a hill, America is a city on a hill, they say, and so these two should come together to bring the kingdom of God on earth. Now, you may lean more in one direction than the other, but let me say that both of these positions are misguided, woefully so. Now, let me tell you why I say that the gospel is utterly political. By what title do we most often call Jesus Christ? Lord. Right? We read it in the passage today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Greek, that's the word kurios. Kurios. Now, do you know who else was called kurios in the Roman Empire? The emperor. The Roman emperor. Just think about that. Imagine if we called Jesus Christ the president. Our president. Blessed be the God and Father of our president, Jesus Christ. And we said that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. How do you think that the political authorities of our day would react to that? You begin to see why texts like Philippians 2, 10 and 11 were so dangerous in the Roman context. Because that text says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Kurios, every knee, including the Roman emperor's knee, must bow at the name of Jesus. Every tongue, including the Roman emperor's tongue, must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you begin to grasp the texture of early Christianity that put it on a collision course with Roman imperial power. Jesus demands nothing short than our utmost allegiance. Now, Here's the question. How can human governments coexist with Jesus who has the government of all things in heaven and on earth? And the answer comes to us in John 18. In John 18, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, who was the representative of Roman imperial power. And he had asked Jesus if he was a king. If he was the king of the Jews. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Do you know what he's saying to Pilate? Yes, I am a king, and I have a kingdom, but you can't touch it because it's not of this world. And then later on, Pilate says to, to him, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus doubles down and replies, you would have no authority over me. 
unless it had been given you from above. And there it is. Politics is all about the authority to govern. And that authority always originates from above, from God. You see, there are two kingdoms at work on this earth right now. The kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. But where this whole drama of human history is leading is to a time when what Revelation eleven fifteen comes true. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There's a time coming when there will be only one kingdom, God's. And until then, the kingdom of God is advancing on earth through the spiritual power of the church. And the kingdoms of the world are also advancing their agenda through what we call political power. But make no mistake, all political power will one day give way to the sovereign, eternal power of Jesus Christ. And so, where does that leave you and me? Well, for starters, if you are a Christian, you must realize that you have a dual citizenship. One in heaven from God and one on earth. But your citizenship from God is permanent. It's eternal. Your other citizenship, whether it comes from the United States of America or from China or from ancient Rome, that citizenship is only temporary, which means that you must concern yourself first and foremost with the affairs and the policies of God's kingdom. Do you want to do the most radical, radically political thing in your lifetime? Do you know what that is? Being wholly immersed in the life of the church. That's where God is making all things new. That's how God is making all things new. And that's precisely where this discussion intersects with our text for today. So let's dig right in. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Praise God that heaven is secured. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The apostle Paul, Peter writes to Christians in um, the first century, around the years 62, 63 AD, in this region that is today modern-day Turkey. Back then it was called Asia Minor. It included Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus, and so forth. Now, what's so interesting is what he calls the Christians right out of the gate. He calls them elect exiles, chosen foreigners. Now, why would he do that? Why would he call them elect exiles? exiles. Well, it might be because a few years prior, the emperor Claudius had expelled, Acts 18 tells us about this, he had expelled all the Jews from Rome, and that would have included a number of Christians because in the early decades, the Christian movement was simply seen as a Jewish sect. And so many of those who were expelled from Rome would have ended up in these regions that Peter is talking about, and so they're exiled. But he also might be calling them elect exiles metaphorically because we know that the people of God, Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament, have always felt like exiles, not quite fitting in whatever nation we inhabit. I mean, this will be a repeated theme throughout this letter. We'll see it again next week. We'll see it again when we get to chapter 2. But don't you love the juxtaposition of those two words, elect exiles? 
In the kingdoms of this world, you will be an exile, and you will always feel like an exile, especially the more you identify with Jesus Christ. But in the kingdom of God, you're elect. You are chosen. Chosen by God. So who are you, Christian? You are chosen by God and an exile on earth. Let's go on. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So now Peter gives us the reason to praise God. This is how most of the letters in the New Testament begin, with praise to God. It's why we begin our services singing praise to God. But Peter here gives us a reason to praise God, and that is that God has caused us to be born again. Born again. Now, in John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, and he says to him, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Then he says, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say to you that there is nothing more radical that could happen to you as a person. Nothing more radical. Not getting into the school of your choice or getting the promotion you want at work or into that relationship or this relationship. Nothing comes close to this radical thing that's, that's, that, that's to happen to you, which is being born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus, who was a respected Jewish leader. I mean, think about this. He was immersed in Israel, who are the people of God. And yet Jesus does not say to him, you're fine. You're in. You belong because you're a part of Israel. Actually, what Jesus says is, you're out unless you're born of the Spirit. So no one was in. No one was in the kingdom of God by virtue of their, be, of their Jewishness. No Jew was safe. No Jew was in. Everyone had to be born again, born of the Spirit, in order to belong to the kingdom of God. But not only that, being born again, born of the Spirit, is not something that you do to yourself. It's something that happens to you. I mean, think about this. When you were born the first time, did you give birth to yourself? No, you just cozily traveled down the birth canal. And then you look at what happened to you. You found yourself in a completely different place. Let's think about this for a minute. Imagine life in the womb, which it's happened to all of us. We just don't remember it, but it did. Imagine life in the womb from the fetus's perspective. It's wet in there. It's dark. It's cramped. It's elastic. I remember when Anna was pregnant, you know, she was pregnant four times. And so when the pregnancy was more advanced, you know, so her belly would be big. And we would sit uh, in the living room, she and I, and she would kind of lean back. And so the belly would be here. And we would just wait for a foot to poke out or for an elbow. And we were like, wow, this is amazing. She'd be like, feel here, feel here. It's like, whoa, what is that? But just think about it from a fetus's point of view. Like the only voices they probably hear are the muffled Charlie Brown voices of adults, right? Like wah, 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 wah. Probably from their perspective. But now think about life outside of the womb. It's completely different. It's dry, not wet. 
It's bright, not dark. It's endlessly spacious, not cramped. It's hard, not elastic, but also hard in that life is difficult. That's why babies cry all the time. But it's night and day, and you've gone from one to the other. Well, something similar happens. This is what Jesus is getting at. Something that radically different happens when you're born again, when you're born of the Spirit. Now, when you're born of the Spirit, your setting may not change one bit. If you were sitting at church before the Spirit gave you new life, you're still sitting at church after the Spirit gave you new life. Oh, but the flavor has changed. The values have changed. Your perspective has changed. The power in your life has changed. You've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of God, which is a quantum leap. And you have now moved even one inch. Amazing. That's how radical this new birth is. And for some people coming to church, that birth has not happened. You're still in the womb, so to speak. And so we've been born again. And he says that we've been born again to a couple of things, to a hope and an inheritance. So let's talk about this. Look at the middle of verse 3. He says we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Now, I'm going to say more about this next week. But just for now, let me say this. That life throughout history for so much of humanity, including down to our day, has felt hopeless. And not just for the poor. The rich also feel this, even today, because they're learning that money and education do not equate to happiness. So what does? Because that's what we're groomed to believe in our culture. More money, more power, more promotions, more this, more that. And there's no happiness there. There's a Greek play in the 5th century BC by Sophocles. And it's Oedipus Rex. And in this play, there's a line that captures well the hopelessness, the futility of life that so many feel. The line goes, not to be born is beyond all estimation best, but when a man has seen the light of day, this is the next best by far, that with utmost speed he should go back from where he came. For when he has seen youth go by with its easy merrymaking, what heart affliction is foreign to him? What suffering does he not know? Envy, factions, strife, battles, and murders. Last of all, falls to his lot old age, blamed, weak, unsociable, friendless, wherein dwells every misery among miseries. What that line captures is this futility of life that so many feel, this misery in life. What the play is saying is, hey, the best thing for you is to never be born. And if you were so unlucky as to be born, the next best thing for you is to die as soon as possible. Think about this. That's not just Sophocles 2,500 years ago. You hear this kind of sentiment today in our culture when people talk about bringing babies into the world. People often say, why? Why would you bring children into this kind of world? Why do you think the fertility rate is so low in America, which is the richest nation in the history of the world? Why do you think our fertility rate is 1.77, not even enough to replace ourselves, which is a big issue, because people feel hopeless. And so into that kind of existence, Peter comes in and says that we've been born again to a living hope. Our hope is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What Peter is saying is our hope 
is not wishful thinking that things are going to get better somehow. No, our hope is anchored in a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's anchored in the past, in history, in something that God did and can never come undone. And it's forward-facing because we're looking forward to what verse 5 says. This salvation that will be revealed to us in the last time, which is or comes upon his return. So we have a living hope, people, because our hope is anchored to a king who cannot die. Isn't that awesome? So that's our living hope. Then he starts talking about this inheritance in the middle of verse 4. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, in the Roman world, the main way that people could build wealth was through land, acquiring land. It's, It's been that way through most of history. So think about those Jews and Christians that were expelled from Rome by the emperor. Think about their inheritance. What would happen to their land for those who had it? You see how fragile their inheritance was? But also think about those who have been disowned by their families throughout history for converting to the Christian faith. Or think of those who are in China today who lose and have to say goodbye to all kinds of social privileges because of their association with Jesus Christ. So do you see how our political allegiance to Jesus the King does not mean that we will have political privilege in the kingdoms of this world? So often, that's what we think should happen, but that is not what's happened in the New Testament and throughout church history. That is not the case. Do you see how costly our citizenship in heaven is? But it's costly only in this age, because in the next age, Peter says, we have this inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. The question is, do you value it? Do you value your living hope? Do you value your imperishable inheritance? Number two, praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. Look at verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, I love this verse. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, there are trials that come to every human being, like COVID. COVID has come to the world at large, uh, regardless of your nation or religion or economic status and so forth. Of course, some people get hit harder by these kind of pandemics. But this is a trial that's come to every human being. Now, there are other kinds of trials that come to Christians because they are Christians. Let me give you an example. I've known many godly women who long to be married. They long for a meaningful relationship with a man. Women who have men beating down their door, making proposals to them, wanting to take them to dinner and to bed, but they say no because they know it would be spiritual suicide to say yes. And so they remain chaste. They remain with the God-man, Jesus Christ, because they love him. Because verse 8 right here is true of them. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so they stay with him. But the trial hurts. 
So that's a trial that comes into their lives because they are Christians. And what Peter says, and there are, so, there are many such trials, and what Peter says to us when a trial like that comes into our lives is to rejoice. Why? Why would we rejoice over that? See, we're to rejoice not over the trial, but over the faith that is tested. This is so important, you guys. You do not know that your faith in Jesus Christ is real until it's tested. Just like you don't know that you really have gold until it's refined by fire. And then you're like, oh, it is gold. That's what happens to our faith. After tests come and we endure, we say, no, I love you. And the trials come, I believe in you. And they keep coming and you say, I love him. Then you know, my faith is genuine. My faith belongs. But for your faith to be tested, the test must hurt. The test must hurt you. If I had to give up golf, that would not be a trial to my faith. Because I care more about metamorphic rocks than I care about golf. I could care less about golf. But for some people who begin to sense that golf is becoming something of an obsession, and they sense God calling them to fast from it, to set it aside for a season, that would be a test of their faith. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yes, the Lord asked me to fast from golf every winter. Why, Lord, why? <laughs> that doesn't count. But you see what I'm saying? Tests must come. And when they come, what Peter tells us here is that on the other side of those tests, you know, you know that your faith is true. You know that your faith is genuine. You know that you have a salvation coming your way at the revelation at the last time. And you know that your faith, you're going to receive the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And there's going to be praise and glory and honor accruing to you, given to you. And so praise God that our suffering, that our suffering as Christians reveals our faith. And finally, praise God that salvation has come. Salvation has come. Now, three times in this short introductory passage, Peter has talked to us about our salvation. And here I need you to listen to me. Because for many people who call themselves Christians, what salvation means is that their sins are forgiven and that their destination is heaven. But their lives here on earth remain virtually the same, virtually unchanged. And if you were talking to Peter and he detected that you're more excited about the Tiger King or about the 2020 election or about that trip you're going to take once Corona lives, he would say to you, no, 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 you don't get it. And then he would say to you, verse 10, look at verse 10 with me. Peter would say to you, no, no, you don't get it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them. That they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Do you see how Peter would talk to you? Peter would say to you, no, no, you don't get it. The prophets themselves... Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the rest, they searched, they looked, they inquired about who, who and when it was that the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to when he prophesied about the 
sufferings of the Christ and his subsequent glories. You know how sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament and you get to the prophets, it's confusing? Well, the prophets themselves, who wrote by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, were confused. They're like, when is this going to happen? Who is this person? There's never been anyone like this, not even King David. And then Peter goes on and tells us, well, they had to make their peace with it because it was revealed to them that, and here's where you need to fall out of your seats. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but serving you. You, Christian, you, single woman, you, single man, you, married person who's heartbroken, you, aging person whose strength is fading, the prophets were serving not themselves, but you, us, as they told us about the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. As they told us about the things that have now been announced to us. Do you see the emphasis on you in that passage? To you. Through the gospel that's now been preached to you. Things into which, he says, angels long to look. Listen to me. The prophets longed to understand the prophecies about the coming king. The angels long to look into these things, but somehow, by virtue of their being angels and not human beings, they can't fully grasp what the gospel has done because they haven't experienced it. For the angels who fell, there was no redemption. Only us humans who fell, all of us, only we get redemption. The angels merely get to look into these things, but they don't fully grasp them. You see, our salvation is so full-orbed, so rich, so time-bending and dimension-crossing and new citizenship-granting that to even hint that the latest Netflix show or the 2020 election is far more pressing for us betrays our utter ignorance. You see, church, the gospel is utterly political. If you've been born of the Spirit of God, then you've been transported into the kingdom of Christ and he will achieve all dominion throughout the entire world by the spiritual power of his word at work in the church now. If you've been born again to a living hope and to an imperishable inheritance, then you have a dual citizenship. But which citizenship is more important to you, the one from heaven or the one on earth? Let me ask you, to you this way, are you an American Christian or are you a Christian who happens to live in America? The difference is night and day. Which citizenship is more enduring? Think back to the Roman Empire and its power and the pressure it put on Christians to capitulate to its false worship. And now, 1,500 years later, have you seen the ruins of Rome? Now compare that to the vitality of the Christian faith throughout the world. I ask you again, which citizenship is more enduring? You see, you must not over-spiritualize your faith. Saying, well, I'm going to heaven. I don't really care what happens to this planet. I don't care what happens to this nation. No, you must care. Because this is God's planet. And he cares about justice in the world. And he loves this nation as he loves every other nation. So we must not over-spiritualize the faith like it does not concern life in the here and now. But neither must we 
politically weaponize the faith thinking that your political party must do well for the gospel to do well. Listen to me. Your political party's agenda is far too small, too tainted by sin, too human. Why would you marry the cosmic, sovereign, holy, eternal name of Jesus Christ to such small-minded pursuits? What our political parties are doing is peanuts compared to what Jesus Christ is doing. And this is why, this is why, this is why Peter tells us that we are elect exiles, chosen by God, but exiles on earth because our full-orbed time Bending, dimension, crossing salvation should banish any illusions of salvation we think a human president can bring. I mean, let me ask you this, and please answer it for you today. How upset are you today, okay? Not before. How upset are you today that Al Gore lost in 2000? That John Kerry lost in 2004? That John McCain lost in 2008. That Mitt Romney lost in 2012. How upset are you today about those losses? So here's my question. Why would you sell your affections, which belong to Jesus the King, why would you sell them to this election cycle? You see, my prayer for you, my goal for you, is that you would be so in love with Jesus. The first Peter 1, 8 would be one of your favorite verses. I remember 12, 13 years ago when that verse began to break through to me. And I was like, yes, I love him. I love you, Jesus, though I have not seen you. Though I do not now see you, I believe in you. And I rejoice with joys inexpressible and filled with glory. I love you. I want to see you. I know that I don't see you now, and I did not see you when you were on earth, but I know that it's been only like this since you left, and that one day I'm going to see you in all of your glory, and all the blindness of my eyes will be gone, and my sin will be so stupid. It'll be like, why? Why did I even sin once with all this glory? That's my goal and prayer for us, that we'd be so in love with Jesus, so saturated in his word, that whatever happens on November 3rd, on November 4th, you would be unshakable. Maybe you'll be happy. Maybe you'll be sad. Maybe you'll be angry or scared. But my prayer is that the intensity of those emotions would not even compare with the degree to which you feel unshakable, immovable. Nothing can touch me like Arthur was singing. Nothing can touch me. Let me show you this slide. Because we've been talking about our two citizenships. We've been talking about the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And whatever happens with the kingdoms of this world, which we all belong to them, and whatever feelings we associate with them, happiness, sadness, fear, anger, Prayer is that all of those would be so dialed down 
for you. Okay, low, 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 because the kingdom of God in you is so, so dialed up that nothing can move you, nothing can shake you, nothing can rattle you. If Satan wants to bend you out of shape, he's going to have to try way harder than in a presidential election. Yes? So church, you cannot be apolitical. This is God's world, and he cares about it, and he cares about justice in this world, and he cares about government. But our politics must begin with the kingdom of God. And our hope, listen to me, our hope must not be in this or any other nation. Jesus is our living hope. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, I pray that you would do amazing things in each one of us right here, right now, by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word, and that for all of us, it would be crystal clear at the identity level that we belong to you, that we belong to the kingdom of God first and foremost that our citizenship in heaven is eternal, it's permanent, and there we have an, an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled. Father, I pray that you would help us value this citizenship and that it would rewire how we think about the temporary politics of the kingdoms of this world. Father, I pray that we would long for the day when the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Lord, we long for that kingdom. We love for the fullness of salvation that will come to us and be revealed at the coming of Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to live there. Help us to move in this world as people who truly believe and know this. The, the noise in the new cycle in the next two months is going to become deafening. But I pray that for your people, Lord, those dials would be down because our identity in you makes us unshakable. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.